Uh, bells ringing, sleighs singing across the snow. Sleighs? Sleighs slinging. Sleighs don't sing. They're inanimate. Slinging. Like a web slinger. Spider-Man slinging. <laughs> Spider-Man climbing the Christmas tree. Bells are ringing. Spider-Man slinging. <laughs> da 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 da. Uh, this is Welcome to Why Did You Read That? Yes. Uh, with me, Peter. And me, Megan. And uh, usually what we do on this uh, show is we talk about a couple books apiece. Mm -hmm. We bring four each, and then we cover two in depth apiece, mm -hmm. and then two we end up talking about almost as much anyway. Almost as much. Um, but today's <laughs> episode is a little special. Yeah, that's correct. Because it's the holiday times. That's right. And we're kind of doing a sort of a gift giving guide, I guess, yeah. for book people book lovers book givers yeah book stuff yeah ideas for books that you can give as gifts during this gift giving time of the year exactly so we each brought five books yes and so we'll talk about all of them all five get 10 books so it's like one of those uh you know, top 10 gift books to give this year. Number seven will blow your mind. Will blow your mind. <laughs> I always love that premise. Because <laughs> I'm like, all right, but it better blow my mind. And it never does. Never does. Sometimes, too, I'm like, how did you decide which one you thought would be the most mind-blowing? Because I don't know if I agree with you. Maybe it was the one that blew their mind. Maybe. And they're just, they have a lack of imagination. Maybe. Yeah. I think it's like, finally started to fade, that format. but like. Sometimes, too, it would be stuff like, these 10 behind-the-scenes jokes from Mean Girls will blow your mind. And I was like, I don't think a behind-the-scenes joke from Mean Girls is going to blow my mind. Not yeah. that I won't appreciate it, but, you know. I blow mean, your mind. That's like a big ask. Yeah. Yeah. That's like when they're like, uh, okay, we found evidence that Bigfoot is real. That would blow my mind. Sure. The, when they released all this stuff about potential alien sightings. Yeah. Yeah. That's but, a big deal. You know, Tina Fey stole Tim Meadows' chair and then replaced it with like a teeny tiny tabletop sized chair. Eh, funny, <laughs> but you know, it doesn't blow my mind. Did you just make that up or did that I happen? did just make that okay. up, yeah. Just checking. I kind of hope it happened, but <laughs> there's no way to know. But before we really get started, uh, you have to tell me a joke. I, I don't have to, but I choose to. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What do you call a person with a briefcase in a tree? I definitely don't know. A branch manager. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> That's a rough one. I like that one. Because, <laughs> you know, we call our library managers branch managers. That's true. I guess it is very applicable to yeah. this situation. Okay. All and right. then I just picture my manager sitting in a tree with a briefcase, and it makes me laugh. <laughs> I think your manager should start using a briefcase. I think it would be like... Maybe all of the staff should chip in and get a briefcase for Christmas. That would be awesome. Like a monogrammed <laughs> one? A really nice looking one? Yeah. Do you think she would feel obligated to use it if you all did that? Like, Well, she's been talking about, you know, potential retirement, so I think she'd whoa. be like, come on, guys. Why'd you get me a briefcase when I'm, like, looking on the horizon at retirement? Yeah. What do you get for a retirement gift for a boss? I mean, like, gold watch is, like, the classic thing, but I don't know. That, that's how you get bus bombers. Yeah. <laughs> that's a speed reference for all of the young folks out there. <laughs> Indeed. That's probably where I got the idea. You know, that's drilled into my head from watching Speed. A cheap gold watch and a sorry about your hand. Uh, I just saw the movie The Lake House. Is I don't that know the if you're familiar. Yeah, and Sandra Bullock. Uh huh. And you know, they're like they have like a magic time traveling mailbox or uh -huh. something. Um, not as engaging as Speed. Yeah. And neither of them are as charming as they were in Speed. Speed is like lightning in a bottle for me. I really like that movie. They really, uh, really should have just stuck with that. Yeah. I think the Lake House. The Lake House was like more romantic. But yeah, I was I like, eh. I saw it and I like a romantic movie, but I do not remember it. I don't it, think it quite worked for me. I think it's like the conceit of a time traveling mailbox is a little rough. Yeah. I also 
uh, one time was working on a story that turned out to be similar to the lake house, except in my version, the guy had a time-traveling mailbox that he used to write to the past, and he was a writer for the TV show Friends. But so what he was doing was he just saw the episodes, and then he was writing <laughs> to the past and then getting credit for them. And but then see, having that's them. That's how you get into all of those weird time paradoxes. Because it's like, how was the episode written if he didn't write it before he saw it? And the, it's addressed in the book kind of the similar way it's addressed in Marvel Infinity War, which is the guy is like, I don't know how it works. It just don't does. Don't worry about yeah. it. <laughs> Not my problem. Fair enough. Everything else seems fine. I then switched it to a different time travel. Uh, story where the guy so he he gets access to time travel and then mm -hmm. he decides he should watch like all the time travel movies to figure out like what he should not do right and then decides his first big task is to go back in time and fix the sequels to the movie the butterfly effect because they were so bad <laughs> <laughs> i thought you were gonna say go back in time and kill sarah connor nope <laughs> nope He's going to try and fix that, and then that sort of works. And then he starts working freelance for, okay, so you know how there are like a lot of uh, universities and cities and stuff who've mm -hmm. named buildings and statues of people who turned out to be not so great? Yes. So what he, he does freelance is he'll like, this university has to rename a building because it's like, oh, it turns out this guy was horrible. And he's like, I will go back in time. And prevent this guy from doing the horrible things. Mm. And so then you don't have to spend all the money to rename all this stuff. You know the, the thought experiment where it was like, if you could go back in time and kill Hitler when he was a baby, would you? Yeah. There is, um, I think it was Hank Green, who's John Green, the author's brother. His company created a card game where it was called like the the evil or evil baby orphanage or something like that, where instead of killing them, they just kidnap them all and try to raise them up as decent human beings. <laughs> it's like a card mm. game where you kidnap baby Hitler all and keep in... him from becoming evil. So they like put them all in one orphanage and then you've got like baby Hitler, baby, baby Stalin, baby. Exactly. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> it's like, you don't have to kill the baby. Just keep the baby from being evil. I think I would want to seed that. Like, so you have all the evil babies, but I think I'd want to put good babies in there, too. Yeah. So they mingle. Yeah, baby baby Gandhi is in there, like... Yeah, something like that. Providing a good example. Just, you know, some someone who was, like, uh, won an award for accounting last year or something. <laughs> baby Marcus Garvey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Throw everybody in there together and be like, I don't know, we'll see what happens here. <laughs> Yeah, there was a section of that story, too, where he was, like, considering going back to kill baby Hitler, but then he goes back, and then he's like, okay, I didn't realize I don't speak any German. Mm. Everyone immediately knew I was weird because the clothes I was wearing, right. and I couldn't really figure out which baby was baby Hitler, because baby Hitler doesn't really look anything right. like adult no Hitler. Yeah. <laughs> And he was like, I thought maybe it was this baby, but I, you know, before you kill a baby, you want to be pretty sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> See, you should just get him into art school. Yeah. And then he never becomes a dictator. Keep him out of World War I. That's right. Yeah, do something just so he uh, becomes like a... Mediocre painter. Much better to have another mediocre painter in the world than a, than a, a genocide-committing dictator. I always feel that way when people are like, you know, um, like a novelist writes a book and people are like, ooh, this is dark and I don't know if this is a good thing to have in the world or whatever, because I'm like, well, hold on. As long as they're <laughs> writing a book about it and not doing it, yeah. I say we just let it, let it slide. Yeah. Like, Let's call it, uh, you know, erring on the side of caution. Yeah. Whatever, if that's, you know, people writing the books about the stuff, but not doing the stuff, I'm like, I don't think that's our number one issue right now. <laughs> I'll tell you what our number one issue is. We are way off topic. Okay, you're right. <laughs> I, I, we're sort of getting back to books. Okay, so should I just do, like, my first one, and then you'll do your first sure. one? Okay. Yeah, that sounds good. Doesn't really make sense, right, to tell you my five. 
Right. Yeah. Then it's just a lot of you talking and then a lot of me talking and no one likes that. That would get too complicated. Okay. So my first one is The Complete Calvin and Hobbes by Bill Watterson. Mm, good choice. Um, so, you know, I think most people are familiar with Calvin and Hobbes, um, but it's got like great winter vibes. Like one of the cool things about Calvin and Hobbes was it was seasonal. Yeah. So like when Bill Watterson would draw it, like when it was winter in the United States, it would be winter in the comics and, you know, is fall, spring, whatever. Um, but I looked up a little info about it. It started in November 18th, 1985. So what you could do too, is if you gave this as a gift, the person could read one a day for like 10 years or something. Mm -hmm. um, and they would- Good luck trying to just read one though. I know. They're so good. Well, that's the other thing. So there's 3,160 strips in total. So it's like a little less than 10 a day you could finish the book in a year. So that could be another way to do it is just sort of be like, I'm going to read this entire thing in a year. Yeah. So here's the thing. I got this for my brother several years ago. And it's, it is on the pricier side. It is. So that's just something to know. It's also incredibly heavy. I think it's like 25 pounds, probably. <laughs> that would be my estimate. Because um, it's on nice paper. Mm -hmm. It's nicely bound. It's like three volumes that come in this yeah. big box. Slip-cased. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I got it for my brother years ago. And he never took it back with him to Arizona. Because oh. he was like, what am I supposed to do? Take this on a plane? This is like <laughs> trying to fly with two cinder blocks or something. So I have since just taken it and adopted it as my own. And nice. I don't know what well, I would do if he asked like for it back. It's like the perfect gifting scenario. It is. So if you want to give a gift that really you want to keep for yourself, <laughs> this is a great thing to do. I did something similar once. I got a, a cast iron Dutch oven and then it came. And then uh, when I was like wrapping it to put under the tree, I was like, boy, he is not going to want to take this home with him. He's going to be mad that I yeah. got him this and didn't just send it to his house. Exactly. See, that's what I was going to say. You got to send that stuff directly to the to the home. Yep. Uh, but anyway, I think it's like a as book gifts go, it's pretty impressive. Yeah. And it's pretty fun. I think it's also like kind of a good all ages sort of thing. Yeah. Like I think adults will appreciate it. Kids will. And I think it fills a niche too because, you know, I don't know if like newspaper comic strips are much of a thing anymore these days. I mean, newspapers aren't as much a thing. So. Yeah. At least not in, I mean, I guess in, we still have people coming into the library to read them and everything, but yeah. I read my newspaper subscription on my phone. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that's a nice, and you know, I would say Calvin and Hobbes was like the perfection of the form of the yeah. newspaper comic strip. It's the perfect like combination of like funny and, you know, he's a little bit mischievous, but it's. Very kind-hearted and sweet and yeah, like it's it it hits the right notes. I think where yeah. you can you can feel comfortable laughing at it and you just like it. Yeah, yeah. It's like he Calvin is you know a uh, very he's a very realistic depiction of a boy of that age. Yeah. He's like a little yeah mischievous is a good word for it, but he's not like cruel, right? And he's not evil. Right. He's just like a kid. Yeah, he gets into, like, shenanigans. Yes. <laughs> gets up to things he really shouldn't. Right. But, you know, overall is, like, bad. a good-hearted person. Yeah. And, yeah, there's nothing that you're like, oh, geez. I think it's also uh, aged very well. It has. You know, I think the only thing that's different about it is, like, I mean, it's kind of hard for me to imagine, like, kids wandering off to play in the woods or something in this time, but... Yeah, I, I'm so I'm sure that some places that still happens. I think where I grew up, that's relatively common, just because it's very rural. Yeah. Um. So that's my first one. Complete I like Calvin it. and Hobbes. Good choice. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so my choice is uh, it's a, a like a coffee table book of art by Sean Tan. It's called Creature Paintings, Drawings, and Reflections by Sean Tan. He is a comic book artist. Um, he wrote a, a graphic novel that I really think is amazing called The Arrival, which is a wordless comic book about immigration and about how confusing it can be to just land in the middle of a culture that's not your own and not speak the language and not be familiar with things. 
Uh, I really recommend reading it. But this book is um, relatively new. I think it just came out this year and it's um, standalone paintings and it's paintings from his books and it's sketches from from things. And he just, he has a, a real talent for writing, you know, unrealistic kind of magical creatures, like one-eyed fuzzy monsters. Um, there's a one-eyed fuzzy monster on the cover that sounds like, you know, it might be scary, but it's actually very like, cute <laughs> so he's an artist that i really like i like his books and uh, i think that for people who enjoy graphic novels or fantastic art like fantasy sci-fi kind of driven art this is something that that they would enjoy and it's something you can just kind of leave out and people can thumb through and it's it's pretty and it's interesting and it's um He's not so well known that I think your average person on the street would know who he is. So I think it's a good choice for something that's not that they're not already going to have. Nice. Yeah. I think he's like an artist who probably people might recognize some of his stuff. But yeah, yeah it's not like a, the first name everyone thinks of. And right. He did one called Tales from Outer Suburbia that had a very Calvin and Hobbes vibe in my yeah. mind. Yeah. That's kind of weird. Yeah, you know, another thing that I did, like, my first apartment that I moved into, um, I ended up decorating it by getting cheap frames and then cutting pictures out of, like, coffee table books. Oh, yeah? Like, when we would weed a coffee table book here at the library, I would, like, cut some pages out and put them in frames, and yeah. that was how I had art yeah, on my walls. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> It's a great thing to do when you have coffee table books that are falling to pieces. Yeah. Once they've uh, lived their life, yeah. Once they've breathed their last, you're like, okay, we can do this a different way. Yeah, <laughs> that's cool. Yeah, yeah, I like I like his his art because it's like uh, weird and interesting. But yeah, like it's not like threatening. It's just kind of makes you look at it a little longer. Whimsical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good word. You've got all the good words. Thank you. Mischievous. I have an excellent whimsical. <laughs> We have to start texting you when we're doing a crossword puzzles. <laughs> I do um, a crossword puzzle daily on the my Washington Post app. Oh, really? Yep. We're up to Wednesdays right now, and that's about where we're starting to hit the yeah, wall. I, I think. did Fridays last night because it mm. uploads at ten o'clock p.m. <laughs> Jeez, I know. You're like waiting. For <laughs> I have problems. <laughs> That's that is like the key difference between a night owl and a morning person. I know. The night owl is like, ooh, a new crossword at 10 p.m. That's perfect. Yeah. And you're in bed. I'm in bed. Yeah. yeah. I'm probably asleep at that point. <laughs> All right. Uh, my next one is a book called Alan Moore's Writing for Comics. Okay. Um, the reason I wanted to put this one on the list is like, I think a lot of book people and stuff have like someone who writes in their life mm -hmm. and you know, it's fun to get them something that's like encouraging and um, maybe gives them some tips and tricks without being like, you really suck at this. Right. So you need the help. <laughs> um, and I An just, important distinction. Yeah. Yeah. There are those kind of books which are, Usually pretty wonderful, but you should probably let that person get them for themselves. Right. Or if they specifically ask for it. Right. That's cool. Definitely not a holiday type of a Merry Christmas, here's a no. book telling you you're horrible yes. kind of an occasion. Uh, you know, I'm giving you the gift of telling you exactly what's wrong with you exactly. for the holiday. <laughs> yeah, maybe not the time. <laughs> um, so what I like about Alan Moore's book is... It's about writing and storytelling, and I think it's kind of a hidden gem of, um, like, how to write books. Like, I really do put it up there with, like, your bird by bird or writing down the bones, those sort of classics of, uh, usually if you're going to start writing, one of those two is usually, like, the first book that you'll kind of look yeah, at. maybe Stephen King's On Writing. Stephen King's On Writing. Which I started reading that a long time ago, but I hadn't really read any Stephen King books. Mm. And I was like, he's just telling me everything that happens in all his books. Like, <laughs> <laughs> So you noped out and went to go read them instead. Yeah, because I was like, this is going to spoil every single Stephen King book. <laughs> By the way, 
this just needs, I just need to put this information in the world every chance I get. If you read a reissue of any of the Bachman books, uh, it has an introduction by Stephen King. I think it's called like Being Bachman or something like that. That spoils at least two of them. Oh. Um, so don't, don't read that until you've read the Bachman books. The Running Man, particularly, I know for a fact it spoils. Yeah. Because I was uh, listening to the audiobook, and it was the introduction, and then he spoiled the end of The Running Man, and I was like, dude. How dare you? Yeah, what? Why would you put this at the beginning yeah. of the book I'm about to read? I never read introductions or prefaces, because I don't trust they're not going to do that. I've stopped doing it, too. They yeah. always do them in comics, and like sometimes... They oscillate wildly between uh, basically telling you nothing. Right. And you're like, okay, thank goodness <laughs> I read that. And then telling you basically everything that happens in the book. Yeah. In which case you're like, why would you do that to yeah. me? Now I don't need to read the book. Thanks a lot. There's a reason they invented something called an afterword. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oof. Okay. Um, so I think anyway, Alan Moore's book becomes a sort of hidden gem in there because it, it's writing for comics is what it's called. And he's known as a comic book writer mm -hmm. primarily. And uh, especially at the time he wrote this, he, that's like all he had done. Um, but I think it's got really solid writing advice for any kind of storytelling, um, even like nonfiction or memoir or things like that. Mm -hmm. And it's not so concrete that it's like, do this, do this, do this. But it's also... Um, practical. It's really practical. It's very nuts and bolts. Nice. Um, like, as an example, one of his pieces of advice is that everything needs to have a plot and it needs to have something that it's about. So he'll say, like, the plot is the sort of the, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened. But what it's about is usually something larger than right. what's explicitly detailed in the story. Right. The search for home. Yes, right. <laughs> and he's like, your, your story should have both of these things. Don't forget to have these, both of these things, because yeah. otherwise your story will be kind of boring. That's smart. It's really good. So anyway, and I think it's also really short. Um, it's like written in a very like conversational style. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it might just make for an interesting gift for the writer in your life. Cool. Just to look over and sort of say, like, I don't know, see what you think about this. I'm curious what you think about it. Yeah. And who knows, maybe they'll decide to take a crack at writing a comic. Which would be great, provided yeah. they're good at it. Yeah. Send them my way. If they're a regular Kyle Starks or a Chip Zdarsky, send it my way. There you go. You heard it here first. <laughs> Chip Zdarsky. Yeah. That's the only name I recognized. He has the funniest name in comics today. First name Chip, last name Zadarsky. Yeah, the yeah, it's true. It's like the the most run of the mill first name with the the most unusual last. I can't say too that I've ever met an adult man named Chip, or an adult, or maybe a child. Yeah, no. So there you go. Chips ahoy! <laughs> <laughs> That's the closest I can get to Chip. Purchased a Chips Ahoy from time to time. <laughs> All right. So my second book is actually something that I saw that my brother has. And it's very interesting. And I think it could be a sleeper hit with fans of history and historical photography. So it's called City of Shadows, Sydney Police Photographs, 1912 to 1948 by Peter Doyle. And it's basically just a collection of like mugshots from Australia, from Sydney um, during that time frame. And when you say it that way, it maybe sounds like that's going to be boring. It's just going to be people like holding a placard with a number. And, but the way they did mugshots in this place at that time is the people wore their own clothes and they posed themselves. And so it's really like these, <laughs> these little vignettes of, of Sydney criminals, like, and they look very kind of like atmospheric and cool. And there's one of this guy and he's, he's kind of squinting and kind of looking 
away and they're written on the bottom of the photograph is this man refused to open his eyes. <laughs> so you get pictures of like sex workers who are, you know, standing all like alluring or, you know, women who have obviously been victims of, um, of like domestic abuse looking very like they, you can tell they've just had it rough and you get like gangsters standing there looking kind of cocky and cool and, it's just, it's, I've never seen a book like it. Uh, and I think that anybody who's interested in true crime or history or historical photography would find these very interesting, unusual artifacts. That's really weird that they would do it that way. Yeah. Huh. I mean, you do get a better sense of what they really look like. Yeah. You know, there, there's something to be said for if people are going to try to like hide their appearance, then you just want to like see their face in its bare bones. But these were people who were kind of career criminals and were not really hiding. And so you really see like this guy, he likes a pinstripe suit and a fedora and he's going to stand there with a cigarette and like just stare you down and you get that in his mugshot. Yeah. I mean, I guess if I was looking for a criminal and it was like you had the, the t those two choices of like standardized mugshot versus one where it's like, hey, pick whatever clothes you want, pose however you like. Because it's like, that's probably what that dude's going to look like yeah. when I run into him, right? Yeah. Like <laughs> at least at the time, things have probably changed. I think criminals sure. are a bit more sophisticated now. But yeah, um, at the time, yeah, they just, they really took it as like a, I guess photography at the time was like a little more unusual. People didn't have like cameras, I, at least not the people in these photographs. It sure. doesn't seem like they had just cameras laying around that took pay take pictures of each other. Right. So this was like an event. It was like, an, ooh, I'm going to look cool and get the picture taken. Like, like it photographed a couple times in your life. And yeah. so you're like, oh, and they made the okay. most of it. <laughs> like they're interesting photographs. Maybe it's a, this is like an opportunity to save a little money. If you were like going to hire a wedding photographer <laughs> and like just commit a crime, yeah. your wedding. And then, yeah, we're just going to stand next to this, picturesque lake in our wedding clothes <laughs> yep that's my mugshot <laughs> that's awesome yeah it's a bit unusual but i think that i think we all kind of know somebody who were like i know this weirdo would would get into this like, yeah uh, yep yeah you're talking to him yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> me too i you know he i don't know where how he discovered it but my brother brought it up at thanksgiving and was like you know, look at this cool book I found. And I was like, that's really interesting. Nice. So, yeah, when we decided to do this, I was like, that's a book that I think more people should hear about. I like it. I like it. Yeah. Um, okay. My next book is called The Internet is a Playground by David Thorne. I feel like I've heard about this. Probably. He's done several books since then, but this was his first famous one. Um, it kind of all, so he's kind of an internet troll, but I would okay. say he's like a good natured troll I and he this. only trolls people who are kind of trolling him first. Okay. So I think it all started with, he was a graphic designer and he had given some work to a particularly difficult client who, uh, you know, didn't, didn't want what he'd wanted or I don't know they had a really bad relationship and it was not his fault and then something caused a situation where David Thorne owed them some money and so then he uh, kind of you know they were hemming and hawing about his prices so then when it came time for him to pay them he was like uh, in lieu of payment please accept this drawing of a spider <laughs> <laughs> and it was like a really terrible MS paint, you know, just basically a dot with legs coming out <laughs> and like a smiley face. <laughs> and, you know, of course, the person on the other end is like flabbergasted and is like, no, we absolutely cannot accept that as payment. <laughs> and then he comes back again and says, oh, I've realized my mistake. I only put seven legs on that spider. Of course you wouldn't accept that as payment. Here's a new spider with all eight legs. <laughs> and I certainly now we're square. <laughs> yep. Have a great life. I assume I'll never hear from you again, you know, kind of thing. And so he does a lot of stuff like that. Um, 
And the books are basically transcripts of these back and forths. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of them are from things where it's like, uh, you know, he gets like a undeserved parking ticket or something. And so, or, you know, you don't, you don't usually feel terrible for the people on the other end, on the receiving end of this. Um, you know, and it's like weird stuff, like in a homeowner's association trying to apply some silly rule or something. So. He's punching up a little bit. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it's, like, just so wacky, mm-hmm. too. And it, like, he, he sort of, like, weaves this web of the people receiving the pranks don't know if he's serious or not. And it's, like, <laughs> is he being diabolical right now? Or is he just, like, completely out of it? <laughs> and thinks that we'll accept a picture of a spider instead of money. <laughs> Am I dealing with someone having a mental break? Or... <laughs> Or is he just joking? Is he totally lost? Or is this like, or is he more on the ball than I ever thought possible? (laughs) So it's like super entertaining. Um, And I think it's just, I don't know. It's like, I don't want to say a heartwarming read, but it's like a fun read. Yeah. And you know, you kind of walk away from it just thinking, this is a person who's making the world a little more interesting. Right. Instead of like a little more boring. And, you know, I think we all have those fantasies about, like, you get an undeserved parking ticket and you do something. Yeah. Um, it's like the equivalent of having an argument with someone and three days later being like, this is what I should have said. That's the funny thing that would have, the zinger that would have really made it land. Yeah. Yeah, there was this, oh my gosh, several years ago, I think this was, like, during the financial crisis in, like, 2008. There's this amazing news story about this guy who, you know, was having trouble with a loan from like Wells Fargo. Mm -hmm. And then he discovered there was this law in the books about, you know, um, basically he ended up being able to seize the property that the bank was located on. (laughs) (laughs) And he's like, I filed all the proper paperwork and they had like 90 days to like refute it and they didn't and blah, blah, blah. And so then he owned the bank and, like, owned the property and everything. Um, But also what made it extra weird was that he was a, like, vampire guy. Like, he had bangs and was, like, you know, an about... He looked like an extra from the movie Underworld. Uh And, you know, there was, like, some kind of side conversation about, like, you know, he's involved in some kind of vampire lifestyle i don't know it was like extra super weird because of that because he's like talking about doing all this businessy stuff but then he's like and on the side i'm a vampire (laughs) yeah not the person you would expect to like dig into old laws and file a bunch of paperwork with city hall no you're like how did you learn about this like (laughs) i guess if you're a vampire and you're like uh truly immortal if your life is infinite, you might as well learn how to do all this stuff. But I I'm sure that's what's happening. I don't there. know. <laughs> it's like, this is like a really, if you crossed interview with a vampire with the big short, that's <laughs> kind of what you have. Anyway, yeah. The Internet is a Playground by David Thorne. Very entertaining. If you just kind of like direct people to the spider story and you're like that's what this book is i think they'll immediately get it and be like okay nice. yeah cool for the jokester yes yeah <laughs> all right my next book is for basically people who love books um and it's a little bit famous but i hope not too famous i think it's still quiet enough that it'll be a nice pleasant surprise for most people it's called 84 Charing Cross Road by Helen Honf. And it is, uh, it's nonfiction. So it's basically just reprinting correspondence between um, a woman who lives in New York City during World War II and uh, a man who works at a bookshop in London at the same time. So at the time, you know, if you wanted specific editions of, of specific books or if you were looking for something obscure, you couldn't just like get onto Amazon and buy it. Right, right. So she would get into newspapers and magazines and she found an ad for this um, book sh- bookshop in London that did rare and, you know, unusual used books. And so she wrote a letter um, with a list of books that she was looking for and said, if you have or can find any of these for me, 
please write me back with the prices. And she got a letter back saying, you know, we have a very nice edition of this one for this much. And, you know, it started off this years long uh, correspondence between this book lover in New York and um, this bookshop in London to the point where she was sending them things that they couldn't get during the war for Christmas. She would send them like a little care package with like tinned ham and stuff like that. Nice. Eggs and, and things that they couldn't get their hands on. And um, they became like actual friends. And it's this really nice combination of people who love books talking about books and also just this nice story of human connection and friendship. Nice. Um, and it's very short. You can read it in an hour probably, but it's just lovely. And um, she had all of the letters that he sent her over the course of their friendship, which lasted until I think his death. And um, she wrote to his widow when she decided she wanted to publish this book and his widow sent all of her letters back. So the whole correspondence is there and you can read the entire course of their friendship um, through their letters. And it's just really like, it's lovely. That sounds very cozy, heartwarming. It, very cozy. Kind of thing. Yeah. And it's a nice little slice of life of what it's like to live in these two cities at yeah. the time. Yeah. 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 And it's like got some interest, right? For everybody. Yeah. It's like, oh, you got some like World War II stuff in there. Mm -hmm. You got some, you know. Some human interest stuff. Yeah. Some book stuff. Man, that is just like begging to be a movie, isn't it? It is a movie and oh. bank. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Although I think the you know, um it's that old refrain, book is better. Of course, yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah, that seems very true. Yeah, it's kind of fun too to read like letters like that. Yeah. I'd never really done that before and then I read um some of Hunter S. Thompson's letters mm -hmm. and it's interesting because you can I'm a hear sucker for letters. Yeah, it's like you can really hear the person's voice because they're being more casual, I mm -hmm. think, than they would be otherwise. Or I've got a sneaky sixth recommendation that I'm going to slide in right now for people who like like letters and journal entries and stuff. Yeah, do it. It's called Swan Song 1945, and it's basically a collection of um, original like primary source material from the last few months of uh, World War II, mm. and it's you know, Americans, Russians, Germans, it's, you know, it's regular soldiers all the way up to like Hitler himself. Huh. So you really get like a snapshot of three, I think it's three days at the end of the war, three important days. It's like the um, a Nuremberg trial. It's the day that Hitler committed suicide and the invasion of Berlin or the fall of Berlin, if I recall correctly. So, for, for history nerds and primary source nerds, it's really, really interesting. Man, I was just uh, listening to something, and they were talking about how this, like, conspiracy theory that they, in World War II, the Germans built, like, a secret base in Antarctica or something. <laughs> and it was pretty incredible, because someone was, like, explaining the theory, and someone else was basically saying, like, this makes no sense. Yeah. Because he was like... How do you even get the materials there? Yeah. To like build a, a giant base and like all this stuff. But it yeah. was, it was, it was interesting. It's just like, you know. Conspiracy theories often are. They usually are. Yeah. yeah. We have a book in our, I don't know if it's still in the collection. It was in the collection um, because we got multiple requests for it. It's called Empire Beneath the Ice. And oh, I think I yeah. think it's about the same thing, but I don't know if it was Antarctica or somewhere north. But it was basically, yeah, about a secret World War II base, and also I think they had UFO technology or so. It it is a giant book. <laughs> it's like it's like a textbook, and you just you know seeing it, you're just like, wow. I'm gonna do a quick search of the catalog to see, see if it's still in there. Yeah, Empire Beneath the Ice. Yeah. We ended up getting a copy, and no, then it, it was no longer in the collection. Okay. Must not have circulated. Well, it could have been too. I know we had one copy, and then it went out on a bunch of interlibrary loans. Right. And then I think one of those interlibrary loans it didn't come back. Ah. And so then uh, we got another copy. I talked to the interlibrary loan person, and she was like, 
well, we're going to get it because it's been very popular. But she's like, but it's kind of expensive. Yeah. So, I don't know. Well, and if it's constantly going to other libraries, maybe it's not popular with our community. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, somebody wants it out there. I don't know. Somebody's real curious about this stuff. Yeah. I was. I checked it out because I was just so curious to see what was in here that everyone was interested in. And I got maybe one page in. And it's like, a, you know, it looks like a phone book almost. And it's like three columns of text going down Ooh. one page. And I was like, okay. That feels like a lot. <laughs> yeah, I was like, this was a lark before. And now it's like, <laughs> not. This is more work than I'm willing yeah. to put in. <laughs> I think I'm just going to put this in the, you know, wild conspiracy category and call it a day. Yeah. Okay. Uh, number four? Number four. Um, number four is called Make a World by Ed Emberley. So Ed Emberley has done a bunch of, like, kids' drawing books. Yeah. Um, maybe one of his more famous one is the thumbprint drawing book. I think a lot of kids had that back in the day. I do remember it. I feel like maybe that's a security liability now, but I don't know. Oh, to have I your never thought anywhere. of that. I know. Well, at the time, what was anyone going to do with your thumbprint? True. Now it's like, um, unlock your house. <laughs> <laughs> but Make a World is basically um, pages and pages of step-by-step -step instructions for drawing really simple things. So, like, the first five pages are just vehicles. So, it's like, draw a car, draw a van, draw a pickup truck, draw this. And they do get weirdly specific. Like, there's, like, you draw a semi-truck, and then you draw a semi-truck that's towing, like, one of those two-tiered um, things where you take cars to the dealership. You know? Oh, yeah. So, it's, like, thorough is how I would put it, but it's, like, you know, really, really easy two-dimensional drawings. And I, I recommend this book because it's, like, for me, this is book has been like an activity sort of like uh adult coloring books or like zentangle stuff right where it's just sort of like a little bit mindless yeah. kind of zen out do a thing and it's kind of creative yeah it gets your creative mind working a little bit yeah and especially because like i'm not good at drawing me either and so it's like a little bit taxing for me but not like yeah I'm, but i'm not like Mr. Jerk is exhausted. He's been drawing Ed Emberly things all day. It's more just like, uh, I don't know, like if you're watching something on TV you've seen before or whatever, right. and you just kind of need to relax after a work day or something, yeah. it's like a good thing. And I like it too, because so after you do it, you know, you've drawn vehicles and animals and buildings and all this different stuff. And I think like, as opposed to a coloring book or something like that, you kind of walk away with some new drawing skills. Yeah. Instead of just uh, sort of once the book is done, you're done. Yeah. And so, you know, I don't know. Whenever you come to play Pictionary next or something, you'll have right. a little bit of an edge. You'll be like, pickup truck? Well, yeah. I know how to draw buckle that. Buckle up, everybody. Very quickly, two-dimensionally. <laughs> <laughs> and so, I don't know. It, it was just fun. Yeah. For me, and like it, you know, took me back to like thumbprint drawing book days. Yeah. But um, I think it's also like just sort of a soothing, relaxing activity that you'll find. Yeah, I like it because we all, when we're in school, you know, we take art classes and we're encouraged to like try new things and be creative. And then you get out of school and you stop. Like yeah. those of us who aren't artistic, we just stop. Yeah. And I kind of like that this is an encouragement. Like you don't have to be good at it. Yeah. You know, to do it and to have fun with it. For sure. And that's like, uh, that's the other thing is I think it would be great for kids, especially yeah. if you like really young kids or if you have a kid, like I was a kid who was not good at drawing. And so I was kind of like, eh, you know, but I think it's easy enough that they could follow along with yeah. it and probably improve their skills a little bit. And, like, it wouldn't be frustrating for them. Right. Like, they could see drawing as a non-frustrating activity. Yeah, it's not like those things where it's like, draw a circle, draw two other circles. Oh. Now, all of a sudden, it's a panda bear. Yep. <laughs> You're speaking my language. Because I would get those books of, like, 
how to draw comics the Marvel way. Right. And it's like, draw a triangle. You know, Spider-Man is an upside down triangle. And then some ovals. And then you're like, and then he just turns into Spider-Man. And I'm like, <laughs> you're like those in between ma- where's steps. Where's the magic wand part? Of yes. <laughs> I'm like, I think we're seeing the difference between me and you. Because <laughs> I can draw those ovals and shapes just fine. But uh, after that is where things become a problem yeah. for me. Yeah, so this is like the opposite of that. Because okay. it's like, draw this line, draw this line, draw this line, and then you have a, a truck. Right. Um, so just fun and kind of like a relaxing type activity. Yeah, I like it. All right. My number four is called Gastro Obscura, a food adventurer's guide by Cecily Wong. And uh, it is... Um, basically a book of, it's like a travel book and photography book that's focused on food, specifically weird, obscure food throughout the world. So it's like, here's this strange restaurant where it's the only place you can get this particular dish, or this town serves a cheese that has maggots in it, you know, and it's like their local delicacy. So it's it's weird and unusual travel stuff specifically relating to food. Um, this is a book that I got for an uncle of mine for Christmas who travels a lot and who likes food but doesn't really, he's not much of a reader. Like he's very busy with work and so he doesn't read much. So uh, apparently this is the first time that he sat down and kind of leafed through a book. Um, and because it's like very visual, and very like odd, mm-hmm. <laughs> the kind of thing that you're you open and then you find yourself like flipping through and being like, "Whoa, that's weird." Yeah. So it's a great choice for non-readers, for foodies, for travel people, um, for people who just like odd stuff. Nice. Yeah. I I like those kind of books too, where it's like you can have this, and you know if you if the person picks it up and like flips to a page that yeah. they'll be drawn in. And then you're like, I got you. Exactly. Falling into my trap. And you don't have to sit down and read it from beginning to end. It's the kind of thing you leave somewhere. And then when you're sitting waiting for like your significant other to get ready for dinner. Right. You know, you pick it up, you open it to a random page and there's something interesting on that page. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. That's fun. It's a cool book. There's another one. I forget the name. It's like Travel Obscura or something like yeah. that. Atlas Obscura, Atlas maybe. Obscura, that's it. And that one is just unusual travel locations and stuff like that. So if, if you're not into the food part, you can go with just the travel part. Nice. Yeah, I think the food is a fun one, too, for most people, because it's like, yeah, I don't know, even if you're not that into that. Like, even if I'm not into travel, I can still, like, read about, this cheese has maggots in it. And I'm like, what? I need to, I'm going to need some more information. Exactly. Here it is. Yeah. And a lot of the food in here, unless you're, like, a real adventurous Anthony Bourdain type, you're probably not going to be interested in. This is, like, the, the edges of food. Yeah. The edges of food culture. Um, but you can still read it and go, Wow. People around the world eat some interesting things. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm like interested in hearing about those things, but not really interested in eating them for the Perfect most part. Perfect fodder for a book. Yeah. <laughs> That's why a book is a great way to yeah. explore that stuff. You don't have to smell it. You don't no. have to taste it. <laughs> no. Just, yeah. Just when you tell me, you know, they're like, okay, this is like a liquor where they put like a cobra in it and it's got, you know, venom in it or something. Yeah. I'm just like, you know. That is exactly the kind of thing that would be in this book. I don't think I need to drink that, but I'm interested (laughs) to know that it exists, I guess. Yep. (laughs) Thanks for the heads up. Now I I know not to travel to that remote village. (laughs) I have a book at home right now that's about, uh, it's basically a recipe book for bugs. Mm. So it's kind of interesting, but the problem with it is it doesn't really give you great advice for sourcing bugs edible bugs right because you can't just eat the ants out of your like lawn apparently yeah yeah because well if you think about it like you've been putting all kinds of fertilizers and weed killers you know yeah all over the place you don't want to eat that yeah and there's like a bunch of recipes for stuff too like you know giant crickets and stuff and i'm like where am i supposed to get those yeah i'm like so now am i gonna get like an aquarium and raise giant crickets and then 
I bet you have can my own get them online. Bug farm? <laughs> I bet you can get them online. Probably. Yeah. Just search like edible giant cricket and it'll be like, here's five freeze dried giant crickets. <laughs> Enjoy. Have these. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> All right. I'm on my last one here. Okay. Um, okay. This is a book called Tales of the San Francisco Cacophony Society. Oh, that's a title. By various authors. Um, this one was a book that came out a long time ago, but then it was like, came out from a very small press and went out of print and was super expensive. So it was really annoying. And they finally re-released it like in a paperback edition. So it's like a reasonable price for a book. Okay. It was one of those ones where, you know, like one person is selling it on Amazon. And so they're like, I have the only copy that's for sale. So it's $250. And you're like, well, <laughs> no. Um, the San Francisco Cacophony Society was kind of like um, a next stage sort of as the hippies were going away. And, like, there was sort of a new youth culture. Mm -hmm. um, so, it was really based around, like, large-scale pranks and, like, events, especially. So, they would have... Uh, this is how Burning Man started. Oh, okay. Because it was this group that started Burning Man. And they were basically just like, we just want to have a party in the desert where people can go out and forget about their lives for a little while. And we'll just center it around burning this giant man. Right. You know, and it was, it had no meaning other than that. Or they did an event called the Nuclear Family Picnic, where there was this uh, decommissioned nuclear power plant, and they would have, like, a picnic out by the cooling tower, and, you know, all dressed like mutants and stuff like that. <laughs> they did, uh, they did a lot of events that have sort of, like, evolved into been taken over by other things um they were probably the originators of santa con which is like a bunch of people getting dressed up as santa and going bar hopping at christmas um they started the they did like a soapbox derby for adults kind of thing that like red bull has made a big thing now and they even had a meat parade where people were in, like, meat costumes and stuff like that, which probably inspired the meat dress. I was going to say, Lady Gaga. Yep. She stole it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of amazing as you go through. Um, they were some of the first people to do, like, what they call urban exploration. Okay. So, you know, exploring, like, tunnels or abandoned buildings and stuff like that. Um, they would have apocalypse dinner parties where it's like they would find an abandoned building and take people into it through the sewer or something. And then once you got in, they had like an entire dinner party set up or stuff like that. So it's kind of, uh, the book is sort of a listing of a lot of the different things they did and some of the characters who are involved with it. And, um, I guess sort of tries to explain like why, <laughs> you know, and, um, the answer mostly is just like, I, People wanted to make the world a more interesting and weird place. Yeah. And um, it's not going to be for everybody, this book, but it's kind of like a coffee table book, lots of photos, and there's lots of copies of, you know, they distributed their information through, like, zines and self-published little pamphlets and uh -huh. stuff, so lots of that's in there, lots of that ephemera. And then, uh, you know, like little news stories that came out about stuff they did or um, things like that. And so, you know, some of the pranks are like darker. Some of them are like more lighthearted and they kind of run the gamut. Mm -hmm. um, but it's just sort of an interesting, loose conglomeration with no real hierarchy or anything like that. Um, I think this would be really enjoyable to like... Uh, like an aging hippie type, I would say. That would, your counterculture people? Yeah. And, you know, I guess would be sort of like more my generation, like aging punk scene type people would probably also see a lot of, you know, themselves in it. Yeah. Um, but also I think it might just like inspire some people to do interesting things. Yeah. And like they did sort of pranks and stuff, but they were like harmless fun 
you know, they would take a a train car and turn it into for an hour, turn it into a cabaret, you know, and just have all this stuff going on in there and whatever. Um, so I want to encourage people to get this book because maybe they'll be encouraged to do things like this and make yeah. the world a more interesting place just a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. You want to be sitting in a public park and have some wacky event just happen. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I want to get on the train car and they're like, okay, we have a Vegas-style variety show happening until the next stop. I'm like, <laughs> all right, <laughs> let's see what happens. Nice. Um, so, yeah, that's Tales of the San Francisco Cacophony Society. Okay. So, my final book, um, I was trying to think of who is, who is the person who I find sometimes the hardest to buy a gift for. Mm. And for me, it's like the older guy in your family who... He, you know, he reads, but he doesn't really, he's kind of, he keeps to himself and he's like the practical guy. He doesn't really, he tells you not to buy him any gifts and all of that. You know the guy? Give me some socks. Exactly. Yeah. And you're like, <laughs> get your own socks. Like. Yeah. And um, at least in our area and in our library district, this, this guy a lot of times reads, you know, your Western thriller mysteries, your C.J. Box. You're Craig Johnson, you know, your Nevada bar. So lots of like very outdoorsy kind of, you know, yeah, exciting and out like mystery thrillers and page turners and, you know. Modern tough guys. Exactly. Rural James Bondies. You got yeah. it. <laughs> so I was like, what, what book do I know that, that maybe is a little more obscure that would appeal to that reader? And I think it is A Solitude of Wolverines by Alice Henderson. So this is the first in a series, and there's at least two books in the series, but it's relatively new. And I don't think a lot of people have found it yet. So this is a perfect opportunity for those people who, you know, he's read all of the CJ boxes, and now you're stuck. Right. <laughs> you know, now you have a new series to go to. Uh, it basically follows uh, a scientific researcher she gets a job studying wolverines, and she's staying in this abandoned hotel high up in the mountains. And um, when she's up there, strange things start happening. She starts to see some strange things and hear things, and people seem to be messing with her research. And um, there seems to be something going on in the community, and it turns into there's this like great chase scene through the snow, and uh, as like I've grown up in Colorado and I lived in a, a small foothills town. And for me, it really kind of got some of the feel of what it's like to live, you know, in these isolated communities and places where winter can really be intense. And, yeah. um, and so it's like, it's got the outdoorsy part. It's got the, the thriller and like good chase scenes and, what develops into a real over-the-top kind of mystery that you're like, whoa, didn't see that coming. And <laughs> real page-turner. Um, so if, you, if you're shopping for somebody who likes that kind of a read, this is one that is a new series, and so it, it could be like a, a surprise hit with, hmm. your, with your CJ Box fans. Kick off a new, uh, new love for them. Exactly. And you'll be the person who did it. That's right. That's a Hopefully. Nice, yeah. <laughs> Hopefully. Well, either way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the idea. That's what we're aiming for. Yeah. I think that's a good idea too, though, because I feel like, you know, even when, when people who love those kind of books and they read one that they're not so hot on, mm -hmm. it's usually not like they walk away like... What a waste of time. Yeah. This is an insult to me <laughs> and I'm, you know, curse you and your family. Yeah. They're sort of like, yeah, it wasn't as hot on that one. But, uh, and then when you find a good one, though, they're yeah. so excited because yeah. it's like, there's a whole new series, a whole new world has yep. opened up to me now. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Yeah, that's The Solitude of Wolverines, which is the name for a group of wolverines. You know how you have like a murder of crows, a yeah. pod of, you know, whales? It's a Solitude of Wolverines because they are pretty solitary creatures. Okay. That's so. kind of a, yeah. A weird name. Yeah. What's the word I'm thinking of where the means the opposite of the thing? Oxymoron? Yeah. Yeah. 
It's like the coming the, up with the words again. <laughs> it's like the movie Airheads, which seemed to be on Comedy Central like every day for a couple years, where their band name was the Lone Rangers. <laughs> And everybody comments on, like, how can you have a plural of the Lone Rangers? You're not lone anymore. <laughs> <sighs> They're alone together. That's right. <laughs> All right. Should we do a quick recap? Yeah, let's do. Okay, so I had The Complete Calvin and Hobbes by Bill Watterson. Alan Moore's writing for comics. Uh, da, 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 da. What did I have after that? I forgot. Uh-oh. Uh, Make a World by Ed Emberly. <laughs> Um, I did uh, Tales of the San Francisco Cacophony Society, and there was something else in there that I've forgotten now. Oh, uh -oh. The Internet is a Playground by That's David right. Thorne. What Boom. kind of notes are you taking over there? Terrible notes. Obviously. Also, they're tiny. I uh, Okay, I bought a thermal printer for home because I was like, <laughs> I occasionally need to print something like a list or like a small map or something like that. But I don't, I didn't want to get like a, a printer because I was like, they're huge and like, then you have to get ink for them and the ink is so expensive, but I don't want to just like throw away a printer because that's like more landfill and blah, blah, blah. So I was like, maybe I'll get a thermal printer. Give that a whirl. Yeah. For people who don't know what he's talking about, this is like the receipt printers yes. that you see at the library or at like Target. Exactly. Yep. It's basically a receipt printer. Yeah. Um. It's worked out okay. It I it came from I'm suspicious China, uh, which doesn't seem unusual. But what's really annoying about it is, as soon as you turn it on, until you load the paper in it, it goes beep 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 beep, and it doesn't stop Yikes. until you load the paper in it. And so that's you better become not a run whole out thing. of paper. Well, and. I found online you can fix it, but what you have to do is, like, install a software on your computer, oh. which then you can interface with the printer and tell it, like, hey, maybe just beep, like, twice, yeah. and then I, I will know. And, and, you know, I will figure it out. Right. If nothing's coming out of the printer, and I'm like, oh, because there's no paper. Because right. it's not like it has a paper tray. The paper just goes in on a roll mm -hmm. and is sticking out of one end and goes into the other. So it's pretty obvious when there's no paper in it. I don't really need the audible signal. Right. Especially not one that never ends. Right. Anyway, sometimes the things I print out come out interesting because I, you know. They're not meant for a yeah, printer. I'm not going to get into the whole process I go through to print stuff. Because, <laughs> you know, obviously at this point I'm like, should just go to a printer. Yeah. Or you know, do it at the at your library for free. That's right. Um recap your titles. Okay, my titles. I have Creature, Paintings, Drawings, and Reflections by Sean Tan. Mm -hmm. City of Shadows, Sydney Police Photographs, 1912 to 1948 by Peter Doyle. 84 Charing Cross Road by Helene Hanf. Gastro Obscura, a Food Adventurer's Guide by Cecily Wong. And A Solitude of Wolverines by Alice Henderson. And then what was that sixth secret one? Oh, yeah. That was uh, Swan Song, 1945. And that's multiple authors. It's all original, like, journal entries and letters and all that good stuff. Yeah, this podcast, we, get, we promised you 10 and we gave you 11. Yeah. Always over-delivering. Keep on giving. That's us. <laughs> we can't stop. Can't <laughs> stop, won't stop. <laughs> all right. I think we did it. Yeah. So uh, thanks everyone for listening. I yeah. hope you have a good good time gifting. Yeah, good luck. hopefully some of these help you out at a time when you can feel overwhelmed trying to pick out gifts. Yeah, yeah, and uh, if you're my mom, just tell me what you want because I mm. cannot figure it out. Yeah, if you happen to be my mom and you're listening to this, yeah, <laughs> wouldn't it be great if everyone was just like, "What's your budget? Here, this this is the exact thing that I want. Here's a link." Yep. Just buy that and yep. put put it in a bag. I'd be fine with that. <laughs> yeah, my mom's the worst because like she either doesn't know or she'll she'll say something like a vacuum, and I'm like, I'm not getting you a vacuum. Like she can afford her own vacuum, you know. So 
I don't want to get her a vacuum right. because I feel like I want to get let me get you the fun thing. Right. You get the vacuum. Right. Or uh or you know, then it'll be the other end of the spectrum where she's like, I don't know, I've been thinking about getting a treadmill. And I'm like, well, all right. <laughs> That's a little <laughs> bit more of an undertaking, but let's right. see what we could do. <laughs> so I don't know. Some some nice middle road for moms yeah. would be great. I would like to take a cruise to, you know. Yeah. To the Antarctic. This uh, SpaceX thing is taking passengers, <laughs> right? Uh, okay. Did you see how they're sending people up in these hot air balloons? Like, Yeah. Technically, I can be in space. Yeah. Let's try that out. Get the, the Jeff Bezos thing? Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> like, okay, so we've had Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, William Shatner, and my mom. <laughs> That's a totally reasonable set. Yeah. <laughs> Picturing like the uh, you know the right stuff, they're all walking down the hallway. <laughs> it's like that's the that's the crew. <laughs> you know, I would put a poster of that on my wall. I would too, because yeah. I'd be like, "This is the weirdest thing that's ever happened." <laughs> also, I'd be like, "I think my mom probably annoyed everybody else on this rocket the whole time because she was probably telling them about you know various political causes they could be supporting with their money <laughs> instead of going up in the space rocket." <laughs> There you go. You know, all the more reason to send her. Oh, man. <laughs> like, would you like to do some good with your money? Let me tell you how. You know, I would propose if, yeah, if people in this world want to, like, kind of kill the fun for, like, a Jeff Bezos doing that, send my mom with him. Because, you know, she'll be kind of a buzzkill about how the money's being wasted and whatever. And I don't think it would totally ruin it for Jeff Bezos, but it would take it down a notch. Yeah. And that's and really hey, all you can do. Tis the season of giving. <laughs> that's right. Tis the season of giving Jeff Bezos a hard time. <laughs> and on that note. <laughs> yeah, we'll see you next time. Bye.